Hey there, I'm Aaron Martell. And I'm Ray Zimmer. And welcome to Album Addicts, a podcast where we discuss and analyze a musical album of our choice. Ray and I talked about it, and we decided that this episode, we're going to cover Pantera's 1990 album, Cowboys from Hell. So, Ray, Pantera, how did you first come across these guys, and how did you discover Cowboys from Hell? It's kind of funny. With Pantera, I actually read about this when Dimebag was still Diamond Daryl. There was uh, my first ever guitar magazine was Guitar World, and they had a lesson with Diamond Daryl. It was on this symmetrical patterning thing that he did. Supposing the interview, he was hungover. He said the hangover from hell. (laughs) (laughs) But I liked what he had his ideas for soloing and stuff like that. And then, you know, I heard Vulgar Display of Power when that came out. And that was, you know, I, I always liked Dimes playing. I may not have gotten onto the, the Pantera bandwagon immediately, but I just thought Dime was super talented. Then it came into the actual Cowboys from Hell album. I was working at a scrapyard doing an experimental machinery division. And this one guy I was working with played the entire cassette tape. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was pretty hooked after that. So All that right. was my experience with Pantera. I remember very well how I got into Pantera. I was in the Navy at school. And one day, one of my classmates happened to glance at my small CD collection that I had. My locker had a few CDs. Mm-hmm. He looked at it, and it mostly had metal and hard rock, you know, like Metallica, Iron Maiden, Ozzy, Kiss, and the like. The guy says to me, have you ever heard of Pantera? I said, no, I'd never. The guy let me borrow his CD of Cowboys from Hell. It immediately grabbed me right away. I went, wow, this is this is awesome. <laughs> so they hooked me right away. That next weekend, I got the CD, and then I was just a fan of Pantera after that. And this band all single-handedly saved the 90s for me. Oh, I can see why. So yeah. you know, that's my Pantera story. Nice. Now I'm going to go through some basic facts about this album, pulled straight from Wikipedia because I do diligent research. Cowboys from Hell is the fifth studio album and major label debut from American heavy metal band Pantera, released on July 24, 1990, on the Atco Records label. It was produced by Terry Date and was recorded from February to April 1990 at Pantego Sound Studio in Pantego, Texas. It didn't chart at the time of release, but has gone on to be certified gold by the BPI and platinum by the RIAA. Now I'll give you the band's lineup card. We have Phil Anselmo on vocals, Diamond Daryl, which is what he was known as at the time, (laughs) on guitars, Rex Brown on bass, acoustic guitar, and piano, and Vinnie Paul on the drums. All tracks on this album were written by Pantera. Now let's get into a track-by-track analysis of this album. We start things off with the title track, Cowboys from Hell. Ray, what do you think about this title track? It's fucking monster. I mean, if you're going to kick off an album with like uh, to really suck people in, I mean, you can't go wrong with this. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you think about the kind of the time period, like 1989, 1990, like there was more of a funk influence kind of going into like some stuff. Like Death Angel recorded some funky stuff. Um, even Nuclear Assault had like one funk song. And so 
it seems like all these groups, no matter where they were in the country, were kind of like getting into something in the same then kind of a thing. And I read these guys toured like throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and New Orleans. Right. They were so, a local sensation. Right? Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. definitely. So I'm wondering almost like if they had some sort of New Orleans funk kind of influence as yeah. they were going through that. Because that's a funky-ass riff. It stands to reason, yeah. Yeah, it's super funky. I mean, this is a statement of intent for me. This ain't your daddy's hair metal band. <laughs> right. The riff is slamming and the band is tight as fuck. Those vocals still have that Rob Halford, Jeff Tate vibe. Oh, totally. But he's also throwing in some of the growls that would soon totally transition his voice over to, including some deep spoken word vocals. I don't even know what he says. <laughs> We're taking over this town. Yeah, That's the yeah. only one I can really He does it later on, though, too, and I don't yeah. know exactly what he's saying. Uh, the lyrics use Old West cowboy imagery as a metaphor for the band ready to kick ass and explode on the heavy metal scene, which, of course, is exactly what happened. Yep. The pre-chorus is particularly crushing. You see us coming and you all together <laughs> run for cover. That's awesome. I love that part. Shit, yeah. They're changing up tempos in the different sections to keep things musically interesting. It's one of the band's signature songs, and it was the first single. It's kind of cool because like, if you think about like speed metal and thrash at that time, I mean, you had your, your West Coast stuff, all your Exodus, your Slayer, and your Metallica, and then you right. had like the stuff, like some crossover hardcore stuff in New York. You had Anthrax, but you also had the Carnivore and stuff like that. And right. these guys are like embracing their region. You know? yes. they're, they're totally sucking up the Southern stuff without turning into Learned Skinner. Yeah, they have a different vibe. Obviously, yeah. because, like what you said, because of where they're from. Yeah. They don't sound like Metallica. They don't sound like Anthrax. They've got their own thing. Yeah. As a matter of fact, they became known as groove metal, right? They were never, yeah. they're never really considered a pure thrash band. Yeah, no, most definitely not. And I think that this album, on a whole, personifies that yeah. concept. For so, sure. Yeah. The next track is Primal Concrete Sledge. How about this fucker? This one, the first time I heard it, it didn't grab me. Really? No, it didn't. I mean, it was cool. It was a heavy track, but it was. I would like skip it to go to like you know, Psycho Holiday. Oh shit! But as I've come back to it over the time, it's kind of cool because it's kind of almost like with Vinnie Paul's double bass drum and like the riff itself. It's mm. almost like a not ministry, but there's kind of an industrial edge to it. You know? Yeah. I can see why Trent Reznor was really into Pantera because there's certain elements of like not saying that they're an industrial band by any means, but like some of the repetitive riff stuff. Yes, lends itself to that. So now it's like one of my favorites. Yeah, it's repetitive and it's tight. Oh shit, yeah. But this is where you see the thrash metal influence mm -hmm. taking hold of them. It sounds completely different than anything Pantera had done before. Right. Vinny's relentless double bass, the choppy staccato riff. It's a short two minute and thirteen second track. Mm -hmm. It's designed just to come right at you and pummel your skull. Yep. I interpret the lyrics as living life to the fullest the way you want to and fuck anyone who tries to tell you otherwise. You know, mm -hmm. kind of a rallying, are you with me, kind of thing. That's yeah. how I see it. Phil sings these lyrics in the verses so fast I could barely understand him. I had to look oh, up it's the word words. salad if you just listen to it. Yeah. I had to look up the words. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's horrible. Sorry. <laughs> the chorus is just barked out. There's a middle section where the tempo slows and Dimebag throws out some more tasty riffs. And oh, yeah, that very, trill riff that's almost like Slayer-esque. Yeah, Ooh, that's it's a, a very breakdown. brief solo. Yeah. And you could almost say it's not really a guitar solo. 
According yeah. to Phil, it's his favorite track off this album. And it came about one day when Vinny just started playing the drum pattern, and everyone else just jumped in and they wrote the song quickly. It's a total jam. That's yeah, awesome. I, f- I fucking love this track. This yeah. one did grab me right away. I went, holy shit, that's awesome. Yeah. It hits you over the head like a sledgehammer. Let's continue now with Psycho Holiday. Ray, how about this one? This is a fucking cool track because there's swing to it, but it's almost like a militaristic kind of a swing. Like, I don't know how if you're how familiar with like Scottish pipe bands, but there's like. Oh yeah, I love Scottish. Yeah, no, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of like that kind of like it's it's a different kind of a swing, and it's not like kind of trying to be bluesy or jazzy. It's just it's its own riff. Yeah, and solo breaking it is awesome because yes, because the thing about Dime was Dime for me was like the bridge between Eddie Van Halen's kind of like. Playing from the id, chaotic playing. Yep. And Randy Rhodes' melodicism. All right. And um, he's got some whammy work on here, which is just you know, it's yeah. cool. It's really cool, and it's dime. It doesn't sound like either one of those cats. Yep. So. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Totally. It's another heavy, choppy mid-tempo riff that Dimebag does so well. Mm. This is almost like a, a almost a blueprint for what Pantera does. Really, yeah. As far as riff-wise, yep. with Rex right with him on bass. I interpret the lyrics as you need to take time away from frustrations and scenarios that piss you off. The line, frustration has taken its control, and the pre-chorus gives you a clue to this. Mm-hmm. So you go on a psycho holiday for your mind so you can get your shit together. That's how I see it. Well, far out, man. Phil brings in some good screams and mixes them in with growls. The chorus itself is quite like an 80s metal sound, though, with a wah-wah on the guitar until the end of the song where a chugging, thrashy riff takes its place in the chorus. Yep. Dimebag plays along with sweet shredding solo, no rhythm guitar underneath. It's only Rex's bass, but it still sounds killer. Oh, Great they throw a lot of space with just with just essentially a trio with a lead singer. Sometimes you hear that, and it's like ah, that, that sounds yeah. funny, but right. here it just works perfectly. No, yeah, it's a killer. Great track. I dig it. It's the third single from the album. Moving on through the album, we get Heresy. Ray, how about Heresy? It's kind of cool because some cats do it, and I think anybody who's ever messed around with a fully destroyed electric guitar has done it, where you like play on the harmonics of the low E string, and, you kinda, and that's what the intro, I'm pretty sure, is what he's doing. It's a okay. George Lynch trick, where you kind of like, you don't even have to fret this, any notes on the string, but you can just like glide your finger up and down, and you, get, and you hit all the harmonics along the so way. So that's what that is. Yeah, yeah. It's like Billy Corgan s- does sped it. up harmonics. Yeah, Billy Corgan does it on um, 
what the hell is that song? I can't even think of it. Quiet. He does that like enough part okay. of it too, and, and it all goes back to Lynch. But I mean, I think everybody does it, and he, yeah. they use it to great effect to this. The uh, they got that great thrash skank beat on the part of it, which I thought was pretty decent. Yeah. Uh, and like I say something about like Vinnie Paul's drum sound on this. Yes. Like this, his drum sound for this album, I think, is what fucking Lars Ulrich should have had. Yeah. Instead of on the uh, well, if he was on, capable on of playing. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it kind of separates the men from the boys on this. But his, yeah. his drum sound on this album is fucking mint. It really is. And, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't overpower anything. No, you know? never, ever. No, not at all. He keeps the groove. I mean, he's really good at throwing quick double bass drum parts in the middle of the riffs. And, you know, like... You know what I mean? And not, oh, yeah. not just keeping that steady. But you're going, what is he doing? What is he doing? It makes you yeah. pay attention to what's happening. Oh, definitely. The rhythm shifts in this song come fast and furious, and the choruses are pretty thrashy, actually. Yeah. To me, the lyrics are about being true to yourself and stating your truth, not being encumbered by labels, whether they be religious or racial or whatever it is, and letting others be themselves as well, like breaking away from group or hive mentality. Yeah, I can hear that now. At least mention it. I don't know. Maybe, you know, I might be just reading too much into it, but I, that's, that's what I get from it. Then the track goes into a long breakdown section where the solo comes in and the tempo slow down and speed up and to me the transitions aren't as smooth in this song though. Mm-hmm. This is the first track on the record that takes a step down for me. I like the song. Right. It's a good song but I don't love it. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first one where I go, that, that's okay. Yeah, that's your meh moment kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's why in this place too, it's like um, there's a little bit of a harmony lead too and Dime's still kind of playing around with harmony leads at yeah. this point. Um, I don't know how they pulled that off live because I've never actually seen them live. Yeah. But you can definitely get that kind of that classic Iron Maiden, Thin Lizzy kind of influence still in there. And he does it throughout the album. But he this does. is the first, I think, where I hear him playing it on the song. Where it's, it's prominent. Yeah. It's yeah. pronounced. And now it's Cemetery Gates. Ray, you know this one? I'm vaguely familiar with yeah. it. No, man, this is sick because I don't know how many people... I mean, you're probably more familiar with King's X than I am. Yeah. Because I remember you were, you were like... Yeah, no, I, lo- I yeah. love King's X. Supposedly, they're like another Texas band. Yes. Um, and Dime is a big fan of Ty Tabor's. Mm-hmm. So that little uh, intro is totally from like the yeah. Ty Tabor school. Of yeah, no, I can definitely can hear that. And it's cool because... You don't hear guys playing minor seventh chords, like an F sharp minor seven chord in the intro. It's arpeggiated. Yeah. And yeah, it's more of a jazz kind of a thing. Right. But the way they use it is fucking sick, beyond belief. Oh, and yeah. All like, if you're listening to it on headphones, when they get into the part where Phil's actually singing, there's like a little delay part, little like almost like David Gilmore esque guitar parts kind of floating around the background. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is good. Between those two sections, between the clean part and the real fucking heavy part, yeah, it's pretty sick. Yeah, this is one of Pantera's great signature songs, and oh, it's yeah. a ballad of all things. Right. It starts with that haunting acoustic guitar. Now you explain to me why it sounds that way because mm-hmm. of the chords he's using. Mm-hmm. And some piano chords played by Rex, which sort of oh, yeah, back it up, too. I thought I heard piano, and until you read that Rex played piano, that I had no idea. Yeah. I thought it was just you know, my brain tumor activating. <laughs> to me, also, this song is a showcase for Phil's vocal chops. He mm. was a really good metal singer. Oh, he was. And he had good range. Despite becoming a deep growler later on, the first line, Reverend, Reverend. For the longest time, I thought he was saying Red Rum, Red Rum, <laughs> like, like from The Shining. <laughs> 
That's what I always thought he was saying. Conspiracy, Mrs. Torrance. (laughs) Mr. Anselmo is Red Rob. (laughs) That's what I thought he was doing. (laughs) Then the electric guitar plays this weeping intro solo that transitions into that incredible riff. Mm -hmm. The lyrics are about a girlfriend or female lover who died, and it's not clear how she died. And the narrator is struggling with his grief and pain, and he's contemplating suicide himself so he can join her. Right. Phil's vocals run the gamut of hurt and pain and anger. He hits some wailing high notes in the pre-choruses, and it's an amazing vocal performance. Big time. And then Dimebag plays a fucking epic solo. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. That's one of his shining moments. And so get this. I read that he said he was buzz drunk. He recorded three souls for this song on a four-track recorder at home. Jesus. He fell asleep thinking that they were all shit. He woke up the next day and listened to them and kept the first take. That's a first take, first pass solo. That's insane. I've tried to play drunk, and man, I I think I'm sounding good at the time, and then I sober up, and I'm like, eh. That's ridiculous. Yeah. He nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Then it comes back for a final chorus, and then Phil and Dimebag trade off vocal and guitar lines like Zeppelin did at the very end. Oh, that's so cool. You know how he does that? I read it. That was in that guitar lesson that I read in the guitar world. Yeah, okay. What he does is he flicks the G string, and it's got fully distorted, a whole bunch of gain, boost, whatever. Drops the whammy bar. And then he pulls it back up, but while he before he comes back up, he puts his finger on like the I think the fifth fret, and so you go come back up on a harmonic, and so he calls it that like a demon scream. Holy shit! And that's and he uses that in a couple other tracks too. But there was nobody doing. I mean, Eddie does whammy stuff. Yeah, too, yeah. But this is Dimes whammy yeah. stuff. And oh, Dimes yeah. Dimes whammy stuff is its own thing. It's incredible. Yeah. It's Pantera's longest ever track by a couple of seconds. You know, yeah. they have a couple <laughs> of tracks that approach this, but this is actually their longest track. Mm-hmm. It was the second single. It's a fucking classic. Oh shit! Yeah. Now we come to domination. Ray, what do you think about this one? Uh, I think Godsmack owes these guys royalty money yeah, no on that, s- that single note fucking that kind of a yeah. riff idea. It's got that, once again, it comes back to the thrash skank beat, and like a couple times even Phil kind of, oh, I mean, so it's 1990, Obituaries released their stuff, Death released their stuff. I think there's some like little death metal influence into his voice. Yeah. And I'm sure there's like, you know. Yeah, it's really coming into play in this song. Yeah, no, definitely. And he's kind of, it's kind of cool. He got slides it in there, and it's almost like a. Precursor of uh, things to come. And as far as this, this is one of my favorite dime solos, too. Ugh. I mean, he's playing around with like a Phrygian dominant lead, which yeah. is like that Middle Eastern Havana Gila lead. Right. Which is kind of funny because what I, from all I've read about dime is he wasn't really schooled. Like, I don't think he was like typically like, you know, took yeah. Carlos. I, he, I thought he was like mostly self taught. I could be wrong. And if you know differently, please correct me. But yeah, he's like one of those cats who's kind of like Eddie. Who's got like that much of a relationship of music where he just can like hear things instinctively? Play. Yeah, yeah. And I used to hate those fuckers. But, yeah, <laughs> but you can't hate on this. This is a great yeah. lead right here. Yeah, I mean this thing just explodes out at you. It's the fast riffs and the drumming heading into like jackhammer. That's what I think of when in the verses the oh, drumming yeah. in it. Yeah. Oh fuck yeah. The lyrics are kind of obscure, but my take on it is that life itself will metaphorically beat you down and dominate you with lines like "binds are like steel and manipulates the will to be." And lines like, has life played a trick, sealed you in brick by brick till your end, forcing you to bend. 
Phil really works in the metal growls, like you said, with, mm-hmm. you will be full. Yeah. <laughs> Dimebag plays another awesome, memorable solo that gets double-tracked mm-hmm. in the second half of it. Then the track switches gears to that slower, heavy groove. The drums have an effect on it that makes them sound like cannons, that coda part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guitar switches from the left to the right with a shredding solo over the top. It's a badass coda of this song. This is my favorite track on the album. And this is one of the double, the harmonized guitar outro. Like that. Yeah. yeah, those weird. Yeah. yeah. Man, that's dun, dun, brilliant. Dun 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 dun. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's just, yeah, that's like Ingve esque without being in oh. Ingve, man. So here we go with Shattered. Ray, your thoughts? Uh, Shatter is kind of cool because kind of like in Cowboys from Hell, and this is like a total dime thing. He has this thing where like he'll play like the riff up high and then he'll like match it down below. So it's almost like a call and response between like two different frets. And then he plays it back down again, yeah. which, I, which is his thing. It's like, I don't know if he used it any of the further albums, but yeah. he used it to good effect here. It's a good driving song. I think this one is kind of like what you were saying earlier with the Halford, Jeff Tate yeah. vocals. And it's to good effect on here. And you can't take away what Phil Anselmo was as a vocalist. And uh, it's kind of the only thing that's kind of funny about this is like, Dime for the first part of his solo is used like stock blues rock lit, but he also grew up around the blues too. His father Jerry was like would re- record Snooks Eaglin in his studio and stuff right. like that, so he is totally versed in blues. Absolutely, to me it almost sounds like a sped up glam metal track, like what they used to do. Yeah, I can hear that. You kind of touched on it. Dimebag solo is just okay in my opinion, though it's not. It doesn't blow you away. It's yeah, not, it's not that awesome, like holy shit kind of thing. Yeah, to me this track is good. It doesn't blow me away. Mm-hmm. The lyrics are about a post-apocalyptic world. I almost get the sense that it's about the world entering another ice age. With the chorus now freezing, there's no healing, this world is shattered. I do like the shattered glass sound effect at the end. Oh, right, yeah, that's pretty dope. But just like, I think it was Heresy that we talked about before, Mm -hmm. I like this track, but it doesn't blow me away. Gotcha. Next up is Clash with Reality. this one it's got that groove intro which you know that's of course we've talked about this is power groove and yeah you cannot help but bob your head when you hear that intro yeah um and you know what i was thinking kind of too is there's one riff that they do do you ever listen to that um, stone temple pilot song vaseline that yes yeah yeah that but these guys predate that so yeah. i'm thinking mr DeLeo, do the right thing might have been listening to pantera a little bit just a little bit and, yeah and do that and then the wah solo is kind of cool and, and thank god it wasn't like a kirk hammett wah solo yeah um it's almost like there's two different guitars playing it's just fucking really sick wah stuff kind of yeah. like brian robertson used to do with thin lizzie right know? when you're talking about pantera when you're talking about metal bands in general it's about the riff right oh shit yeah so this one it's got a slow dirty metal riff in the choruses 
and then a faster paced riff than the verses kind of flip-flops how mm-hmm. metal songs are usually structured. Yeah. Phil screams out the lyrics, which to me are about facing the harsh realities of life, facing the truth, having to deal with the consequences, and allowing it to grow your hatred. There are some slamming connective riffs that lead to the solo section, mm-hmm. different riffs that funnel the song back to the last chorus. Just before the song finishes, it, go, it goes into straight thrash metal territory. Yeah. That. For a few bars, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Guessing. This one kicks my ass the least on mm-hmm. the album, though. Yeah. So it's going to get saddled with Aaron's Stinky Stinker. <laughs> yeah, this Though it's not a terrible track by any means. I still love it. No, yeah. I, mean, I think Shattered and this one together, it's kind of like... It's the lull in the album. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Moving on, we get Medicine Man. Oh, this is my unholy trio of favorites from this album. The, uh-huh. the next three tracks, um, both two fucking intro riffs are mint. It's a, it's a moody, atmospheric song. And it's cool, like on the verse sections where Phil's kind of like, you know, talking through it. But it's a really minimalistic guitar part yes. right there. You know, and it's just kind of like... It's In the verses. Of, yeah, it's got yeah. some chorus on it and stuff like that. And it just, and once again, I'm going back to Vinnie Paul's drums on that. Vinnie Paul like just fucking rocks this song. Yes. It's like the tribal drum pad. Yeah, totally. And it fades in. The track fades in with his drumming. Yeah. Which is with, with, well, Rex is playing bass, too. But mm. The riff alternates between a chugging, thrashy part and a more traditional metal-sounding part, but they both fit together well. Phil sings in his lower register, trying to sound creepy and menacing about a medicine man, a traditional healer and spiritual leader of tribal peoples. In this song, the medicine man seems to use intoxicants to lure people in, make them depend on him, giving him control. He can show you what heaven or hell is like, the devil's heart with angel's words. It's about a drug dealer. Oh, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I said all that, but it's about a drug dealer. You guys need some lewds? And it sort of foreshadows, right, because Phil would eventually become entwined in the whole drug scene. Oh, yeah, that pretty much drove him apart from everything. He would know what he's talking about. It's kind of funny with his speaking voice and sort of like a... Oh, yeah, no, he's definitely Barry White when he talks. He uses that sort of in the verses here. I dig this track. It's got a creepy vibe and drums that sets it apart from the other tracks on this record. And talk about groove. Like, yeah. Power. And you can't help but, like, bob your head along to it. It's awesome. Or, you know, shoot heroin. Yeah. I guess it's an option. Yeah. Let's keep going now with Message in Blood.
All right, Ray, how about this one? All right, another favorite of mine on this one, and it goes back to one of the guys who got me playing guitar was a kid named Matt Deal, who's even to this day in our 40s is still introducing me to new different types of metal. But I remember him sitting there playing the, this riff, and I thought, with all the squeals and shit like that, and I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, this is a sick little riff. And it, it's weird, because it's got like... There's a, it goes into waltz time sometimes, but it's also weird time signatures going yeah. on, on top of that too. Yeah, it's it's kind it of changes around, kind of layered. There's got the weird harmony leads, yep. which uh, work out pretty slick too. It's like Dimebag could pull awesome riffs out of his ass with oh, ease. He totally could. Maybe it was the alcohol. I don't know, but whatever he did. <laughs> this again's got that creepy vibe, like Medicine Man, yep. especially in the verses. Mm-hmm. Sonically, it's almost like the brother of Medicine Man to my ears. You know, without the tribal beat. Right. Yeah. No, I can hear that. This one's got the shifting tempos that keep you you're engaged something bands like slayer tried to do so that you'd pay attention when things started to sound the same i read that the lyrics are inspired by charles manson and the manson family who wrote messages in their victims blood on the walls of the homes oh they, right that, okay the cryptic warnings that yeah. makes sense then yeah i can get that the solo section is dimebag playing three different guitar lines that kind of snake around each other oh yeah he modulates for every time they change too yeah. so he he really was paying attention as he was doing it uh, and a great track i'm totally with it nice the penultimate track is The Sleep. Ray, don't go sleep on me, man. <laughs> Will we survive? <laughs> no, dude, that's like the trifecta. This is the third one just fucking knocks it out of the park for me. It's one of those cases where Dime can play like really clean, arpeggiated, Randy Rhodes style stuff, but he throws in like that little bit of weirdness and dissonance. Yes. And he like blends it in masterfully until he like goes into like the uh, main riff. It's another great power groove to it. Yeah. It's kind of an unusual chorus, too. It's slower. It's yeah. got the acoustic guitar, like Cemetery Gates. Yeah. But it's not quite a ballad, either. It's still a pretty heavy track. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And it's kind of cool because it's like, in the chorus, typically, I mean, you like with a lot of metal bands, you stay in kind of a minor key, but it doesn't really do that. No. Um, with like a lot of metal, you can be modal, and these guys are definitely more modal in this point. So it's kind of like a throwback to like 70s metal to me. Yeah. Like you just touched on, I, the chorus riff is awesome. Yeah, it really is. And I like the vocal melody in it too. It's got a double track fill singing the high and the low parts together. I've always been a big fan. Since Ozzy did it, since a lot of it, it's, sure. it's a favorite. It makes it sound ominous. Mm-hmm. The guitar solo is fucking amazing. Dimebag doesn't even really shred for the most part. He pulls out some fantastic melodic runs Mm -hmm. that complement the musical backing perfectly. We get a quick break to reset, and then Dimebag gets another pass at the solo. He gets like two, and it kills it again. I read the lyrics are about the survivors of chemical warfare hiding underground and knowing they'll have to become the leaders of a new society once they're able to rejoin the world. Wow. They're going to be stronger and learn from past mistakes. That's cool. And what's kind of cool yeah, about that they, time is we were still at the end of the Cold War. So yeah, there's a lot of. of apocalyptic music was big at the time. I mean, so. Yeah, this is the very beginning of the 90s. Well, yeah. 1990. Yeah. So I, I love this track. It's one yeah. of the better ones. I think there'll probably be more apocalyptic songs coming back in yeah. the front pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, if we're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> and that brings us to the final track, The Art of Shredding.
Ray, how about this one? I think Archie Bunker said it when he best me said, yeah. Uh-oh. This one is going to go down, and this is the first time I'm breaking this one out, as Ray's unimpressive musical pick. <laughs> um, you know, it's got some good parts. I mean, it's not a horrible song. It doesn't right. suck. I mean, I would take that over, you know, some stuff that's uh, out now. But it's kind of, I think, underwhelming is the word I'm going to go for. I yeah. Mean, you've got everything chugging along with this band. You know, they got a couple missteps maybe here and there, which are total missteps. And that's called the art of shredding. <laughs> and I'm not hearing as much shredding. He doesn't as I shred. Was. He doesn't, doesn't shred in the song <laughs> at all. It's fucking strange. Yeah. I mean, if they're going for irony, okay, great. Then it, then it's great. Yeah. This one, would, if I was on a cassette tape, it would be on Fast Forward's Greatest Hits. Yeah. No, I, I hear so. you. Rex Brown leading things off too. Yeah. Let's right off the bit. What do you think about Rex Brown's playing? Solid. Yeah. It's really solid. Yeah. Um, like I th- kind of think of Vinny and Dime as kind of like that Van Halen brothers kind of yeah. relationship. But he doesn't get worked down in the mix by any means. Yeah. So, um, no, I, I like he's a good, solid bassist. It, that's how I see him. He's solid. He's in the pocket. He he's locks in with Vinny very well. Oh, yeah. He's not Cliff Burton. He's not an innovator on the no, bass. No, no, not by any means. But he's, he's good. He's decent. Yep, he fills his role. Then it goes in that lengthy intro with different riffs, progressively getting faster until the main riff kicks in and the song really begins. I get from the lyrics that Phil's talking about how society is run by madmen and it ruins lives and it's a call for unity to utilize that rage that's been held back and band together to make things better. It's kind of broad sentiments. Mm -hmm. The breakdown section features a ripping fast riff that abruptly transitions into a heavy groove and it switches up again for the guitar solo. It's good, but I expect him to really tear it up and he he, he, he just doesn't. (laughs) He's like, uh, what do you think was like filler? Did they need something towards the end? It's like, come on, one more track, guys. This one really feels to me super disjointed. Like they, he just yeah. emptied out his bag of riffs and yeah. stuck them all together. And, <laughs> yeah. All right, we need one more track, fellas. All right, here we go. You know, it's a CD age. Yeah. Bip, 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 bip. There, here we go. There it is. It's not definitely not a favorite of mine either. Yeah, that, that, there's only one part of the song I like is like early on in this song. That one little part. There's not a single Pantera song I can think of off the top of my head that outright sucks where there's not at least one decent riff in it. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. But, yeah, this one misses the mark. Yeah, okay. Now that the track by track is done, we'll get into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the ratings is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours all the way down to a 0, which sucks rotten eggs. Oh. Ray, what are your final thoughts on Cowboys from Hell? Cowboys from Hell is a great album. I mean, there was a time in my life where I probably would have kind of dismissed Pantera as a band as like a second wave, like second tier, actually, I should say, thrash band. But this album proved me wrong. Of course, you got that mixture of, you know, the Randall amp and the Dean guitar, and Dine had his own tone. He totally had his own tone. He did. He and his brother, kind of like the Van Halen brothers, lock in together brilliantly. Phil Anselmo was great vocalist. And um, this, I'm going to give this an out four and a half. Because I think this is an album, it's their their pupil stage, you know? Yeah. This is where they're going to turn into something right. in, that's just monster and the whole thing, and there should be thousands of imitators, but they're not quite there yet. Yes. You can't take away anything from the musicianship, uh, the song race. Like I said, there's a couple missteps song-wise, but no, I'm going to stick with the four and a half, and kudos. Good job, guys. Yeah. When Pantera first appeared, they were basically a glam metal band. They looked the part with the big hair, makeup, and spandex, and the sound was very much in line with what the L.A. glam rockers were doing at the time, despite the fact that Pantera hailed from Arlington, Texas. <laughs> they recorded four albums in this style, though to be fair, with each successive album, the music was getting heavier and heavier. They, they were evolving. Right. 
On the last of these albums, called Power Metal, the band debuted a new vocalist, 18-year-old Philip Anselmo, who sounded like a cross between Rob Halford of Judas Priest and Jeff Tate of Queensryche. <laughs> At this point, though, thrash metal was becoming more and more popular and it was undercutting the glam metal scene. With the middle fingers raised up high, yeah. fuck glam metal. <laughs> Diamond Daryl auditioned for Megadeth and got the gig, but he turned Dave Mustaine down because he wanted to bring his brother Vinnie Paul with him into the band. And Megadeth apparently didn't need a drummer. Right. <laughs> so they went back to Pantera and began to incorporate thrash metal into the sound. It created a new musical hybrid that would come to be called groove metal. Yep. The bass player changed his name from Rex Rocker to his real name Rex Brown. And then the band abandoned the teased hair and spandex and wore their normal street clothes. Mm-hmm. They got signed by Echo Records and recorded Cowboys from Hell, which sounded like nothing they'd done before. A lot of people think this is Pantera's debut album, mm-hmm. and the band treated it like it was too. Like they, <laughs> they, they, they like just disavowed all that other stuff. Completely, they just wiped the slate clean. That like they were embarrassed by their right. origins. <laughs> Daryl's guitar tone on this is a bit trebly, I think. Yeah, I can I can hear that. Yes, but the riffs are fast and heavy, and Vinny was a master at switching tempos and complex drum patterns at the drop of a hat. Yeah, and that's when they lock in. It's yeah. fucking brilliant. Oh, it's incredible. Phil's voice is transitioning from his glam metal screams to the almost death metal growls that it would eventually become. Mm-hmm. And the band sounds tight, focused, and purposeful. And damn, did I need these guys <laughs> when they arrived in my life. The 90s were pretty dismal musically for me. I liked the grunge bands, but something prevented me from going all in with them. There was right. a bit of a disconnect I can't really explain. Yeah. A lot of those bands disavowed, I mean, although there was metal elements to their stuff, they like sep- tried to separate themselves from metal as like it was like some sort of ugly stepchild. I think that's, all right, now that you touched on that, I think that's what my disconnect with grunge was, was their attitude towards... Yeah. They weren't like... Yeah, we heard this music before, and we mm-hmm. did. They're just like, fuck that. I, it kind of turned me off a little bit. Yeah, I can see but that. I, but the music was so compelling, I, I ended up you know, liking the grunge bands. Glam metal died a slow, painful death. <laughs> and practically all the thrash bands were changing their sound, and they were loosening up on the speed and aggression. I was like, what the fuck is going on? You know, yeah. Metallica, Megadeth, Testament, all those guys were anthrax. They were all slowing down, yep. and they were going after mainstream success. Exactly. And they had the Black Album kind of like, yeah. Seven, I was always following that kind of lead. But Pantera, well, kind of Slayer too. Mm, yeah. Said fuck that. They just kept the metal flag flying. They stuck to their guns. This band, Pantera, practically saved the '90s for me. They put out four more records after this one, and they continued to increase the speed and heaviness. And suddenly, in the early aughts, they were done, done. Yep. I'm not going to get into it now exactly what happened because I'm sure we're going to review that stuff down the road and we can touch on that. Right. But the band dissolved acrimoniously. And then on December 8th, 2004, Dimebag Daryl was shot and killed on stage in Columbus, Ohio, right in front of his brother as they began a club show with their new band Damage Plan. Fucking A. That still blows my mind to uh, this day. I can't get my head wrapped around No, that. I don't think anybody can. Yeah. And just recently, at the time of this recording, on June 22nd, 2018, Vinnie Paul died from what is believed to be a massive heart attack in his sleep. At the time of this recording, we don't know exactly if there was any other things that caused this, but... Rock and roll lifestyle catches up to anybody. It could be. So, or it could have been shit luck. It could have been anything. Yeah, really. We'll, eventually, we'll find out. Yeah. So both brothers are gone. Pantera's truly over now, but they have a tremendous legacy, thanks in no small part to Cowboys from Hell. Yeah. I also give it a four and a half. Mm-hmm. I love this record, but I love what they've got coming down the pike even more. They even attain higher heights of greatness. Oh, big time. But that's a story for another episode. <laughs> and from Album Addicts, Daryl Lance Abbott, a.k.a. Diamond Daryl, a.k.a. Dimebag Daryl, 
and Vincent Paul Abbott, a.k.a. Vinny Paul. Rest in peace. Save a spot at the bar. So we got an iTunes review from R4 Podcast Super Listener Sam George. This one's titled Jeff Roll Tall. And Sam writes... Ham and ham and eggs. Or spam, spam, beans, spam and eggs. I love this album. The cover was scary. The songs are incredible. Thanks, guys. Sam, Sam and Hammond. <laughs> Thanks again, Sam. Pip, pip, governor. We should probably make a jingle to go with your reviews. I might work on that. Oh, dude, that'd be like Sam's Corner. Or that something. means you fully arrived. And <laughs> yeah. You have to come on our show He's now. He's a superstar. Yep. And of course, to everyone else out there who listens to the podcast, a big hearty thank you. We'd love to see more iTunes reviews so we get noticed and bumped up and become more visible. Plus, we dig all the Facebook likes and shares. So thanks again for all the love. Oh, yeah. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Google Play, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, we'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast, including the Album Addicts branch of the show. You can also review the show on Facebook if you prefer to do it that way, and yes, we'll read your Facebook review on the podcast. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with us? Shoot us an email and we'll set it up. We're always looking for co-pilots to host the show with us, and we would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for Album Addicts, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ray. See ya. We're... Pantera videos in their arts. Oh, they must. Oh, yeah. How could they not? They probably were like, no. These guys rock. Pantera's cool. Come to butthead. Fire, 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 fire. Little girl, half-white. butthead, I like those moments of like figuring inside. <laughs> oh yeah. This <laughs> <laughs> is the dumbest cartoon ever and I loved it. Oh me too, because we were all Beavis and Butthead yeah. at one point in our yeah. lives. Oh yeah. I Fuck st- yeah. Dude, I still am. I'm wearing yeah, a piece of shit. Which one were which one were ACDC, wasn't it? Was it Butthead? Butthead was ACDC yeah, and uh, and Beavis was Metallica. <laughs> yeah. And Stuart had a winger. Oh my god. <laughs> fucking Stuart. I'm fucking butthead. <laughs> That's cool.